Executive Briefing Politics and Economy by Adil Jain The End of LIBOR In 1969, Minos Zombakanis, a Greek banker, arranged a syndicated loan from the manufacturer's Hanover to the Shah of Iran, based on the funding costs of a set of reference banks. This was the origin of what later became the London Interbank Operate, or LIBOR. In addition to providing loans at rates pegged to LIBOR, banks that submitted figures for the benchmark had also begun to borrow using LIBOR-based contracts. The temptation to underreport funding costs led the British Bankers Association to assume control of the data collection and governance process. LIBOR rates were initially provided for the US dollar, British pound, and the Japanese yen. Gradually, the other currencies were included and 10 maturity terms were reported for each of them. These ranged from overnight to one year. By 2013, LIBOR underpinned more than USD 300 trillion in financial contracts that included swaps, futures, wearable aid mortgages, and other loans. The rationale for using LIBOR stemmed from the simplicity of its design. It represented the borrowing rates of the world's largest and most financially sound institutions. Other borrowers paid a premium over this, which considered the risk and viability of their exposures. During the financial crisis of 2008, LIBOR behaved erratically, provoking questions about its credibility. Subsequent investigations revealed glaring transgressions by several banks, including Barclays, a 300-year-old institution forcing policymakers to initiate reform. In theory, LIBOR was supposed to be an honest number because it presumed, for a start, that banks played by the rules. Bankers were gentlemen and provided truthful estimates. In reality, however, the system had become rotten as those determining it had an incentive to lie. Banks stood to profit or lose money depending on the level at which the rate was set. Weak banks, for instance, would not have wanted to air the fact widely in the markets of their real cost to funds. They consequently submitted dishonest estimates of the price they would have to pay to borrow. Investigations revealed that rate-rigging was rampant as early as 2005. The benchmarks replacing LIBOR are better structured. As a start, there is one for each of LIBOR's five currencies. The secured overnight financing rate, SOFRA, for the dollar, SONIA, for the pound, TONAR, for the yen, SARON, for the Swiss franc, and the euro short-term rate for the euro. The way this works is that they measure borrowing costs on actual transactions, rather than trusting bankers to respond honestly to a daily questionnaire, as was the basis of determining the LIBOR rate. The US dollar SOFRA report rates in the repo market for loans secured against government bonds rather than for the bank deposits. This suggests that the markets have moved from bank lending to disintermediated finance. The shift to these alternatives has been arduous because of pre-existing LIBOR contracts whose term continue beyond the 30th of June 2023 deadline, involving renegotiations of rates and other legal imperatives. About USD 80 trillion worth of contracts expire only after these deadlines. CFOs specifically, those with large treasuries, are struggling through these transitions on negotiations with lenders and money managers. 
it will be a few months before things begin to settle. It's odd that a bland number that most people have never heard of could become so burdensome. Mr. Zombakanis, the Greek banker on whose loan structure LIBOR was first created, may never have imagined the extent to which it would ultimately pivot global finance. Thank you.